It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 390 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, October 3rd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode. And of course, as always, you're going to hear the spiel once again. Check out the Locked On Podcast Network. we got team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. we got Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd, including his brand new Locked On Dynasty Fantasy Basketball, which uh, for you very intense fantasy basketball players out there, I'm sure will be a lovely listen. And make sure you're checking out Locked On NBA as well with David Locke on Thursdays and a bunch of other hosts from across the network chipping in on every other day of the week. Uh, great sort of wide-ranging perspectives from a bunch of different hosts, so make sure you're checking that out. Uh, and, of course, the Locked On NFL shows are going strong. If there's a team you're interested in, if you have a favorite team, make sure you're checking out this corresponding Locked On show. And if you like the NCAA, which people know that I do not, but, hey, other people like it. So if you like a program or a team or whatever it is, in the NCAA, you're interested in an SEC team, make sure you're checking out the corresponding Locked On College show for that team as well. Both football and basketball, I believe, are covered under those umbrellas. So uh, find those shows, find those hosts, rate, review on iTunes. It's always helpful. The Locked On Podcast Network is the number one daily sports podcast network going. Help us expand our lead, and it's a prolific one at this point. We're really, really good at it. So please, subscribe, rate, review to the shows you like. It's very, very helpful. All right, on today's show, we are finishing up, I guess, a two-part podcast that we started a couple weeks ago with our pal Dan Grant. How's it going, buddy? Good, man. How are you? It's good. I had a nap that made my hair look better, which uh, is always nice. (laughs) I don't think that's ever happened to me, but I don't have much hair left, so... Fair enough, yeah. I have, like, my hair is at a state right now. I'm at too uh, poor to get a haircut level <laughs> and like waiting out the paycheck where I can afford to go get a haircut at the place I like to get my haircut that serves beer also instead of going to one of the chains for $10 I'm just holding it yeah. up hope for that fancy one for 30 
Um, yeah, you're, too poor. you're too poor for a fancy haircut. You're not too poor for a haircut. Yeah, I could get a haircut if I really wanted to. I just don't want a bad one. Um, and also, I want to drink beer while I get my haircut because that's fun. Um, so, yeah, I'm at that point. But sometimes when I take a nap after work, I'll get home. I'll, you know, lie down on the couch for a little bit. And my hair just miraculously looks better than it did earlier on. It's uh, it's one of the perks of being at this level of hair length anyway. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, so on today's show, of course, we are finishing up the Ranking Every Raptor saga. I finished the posts for RaptorsHQ.com on Monday with the top 10 Raptors of all time. Admittedly, like, the least interesting post for me to write just because, I, I, it was, I mean, we all know the players that are in the top 10. I much prefer to write the post that was like 150 to 121 with dudes no one remembers who were bad. Um, but, hey, you got to rank it. You got to be a completist. So I did with the top 10. And uh, Dan, if you remember, a couple weeks ago was on to rip apart my bottom 100, I suppose, from 220 to 120. He was pretty nice. He was not too, too mean about it. So I brought him back on to rip apart my top 120. We'll probably spend most of the time sort of in the top 50-ish range, uh, even though there are a couple notable guys who are uh, outside of the top 50 who I'm sure Dan's going to talk about too. Um, But uh, yeah, Dan, just what what we did last time, I'm going to let you just kind of pick me apart. But first, I guess we should talk about the preseason game last night very, very quickly. The Raptors lost. I don't know the score. They They lost to the Jazz. I stopped watching after the first half because... It's good to love yourself during the preseason and stop watching when the good players stop playing and watch playoff baseball instead, which uh, was a very good decision on my part um, and part of the reason why I had to take a nap this afternoon. You know, the the Raptors looked good in the first half. Kawhi Leonard just kind of went on a little ISO streak and was very good in that time. Jay Crowder could not stop him whatsoever. That was really fun. It's a shame he's not still on the Celtics, but uh, I guess you can cook the Jazz twice a year too, and that's totally cool. Um, Kyle Lowry looked good. Fred Van Vliet, I thought, looked pretty good in the first half. You know, you know, Serge Ibaka made some dumb boneheaded plays here and there. He had a weird travel. He uh, forgot like where the end line was at one point and had a turnover. But, hey, he still scored 11 points on, like, four or five in the first quarter and a half or so and looked fine. Uh, so, I don't know, Dan, any stray observations from the second preseason game? I know you probably just caught, like, the highlights, or that's what you mentioned before we came sure. on. But that's probably all you need because the second half, I saw people on my timeline getting, like, mad at Nick Nurse's rotation in the second half. And it's like, dude, it's the preseason. Relax. It's not supposed to be with winning on the mind and there's of course like norm powell is going to play 13 straight minutes or whatever it is it's the second half of a preseason game um but from the good part of the game dan anything that uh piqued your interest i mean yeah it's almost like nick nurse wants to see what these players can do in game action <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you might give them some time <laughs> that's crazy uh, what's what a strategy um no i mean honestly like you just said it was just really i still it's you still have that elation seeing Kawhi Leonard wearing a Raptors jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, that ISO streak has been made into a nice little highlight package. Him just like working Jay Crowder and hitting shots and getting his own rebound. Just little things. And I know it's the preseason, but it was, uh, you know, Utah's a pretty damn good team. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just cool to see him out there doing the thing he does. Because one of the things I've noticed about him, even in San Antonio, is he never seems like he's going fast. Yeah. He never seems like he's going over if he has five gears over like third gear but he's just so physically overpowering and so smooth it's just like he's unlike any player the Raptors have ever had before um in the way he like physically dominates from the perimeter I think 
Um, it's not like explosive. Like he is explosive, obviously, but it's not uh, you know quick bursts. It's just like constant power, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's really really fun to watch. The thing too with sort of how he goes about his possessions is like there's never any wasted movement at all, and I feel no. like I, the way I would compare it is like if you've ever watched like a hockey goalie make a save. Some of them will be like very flashy with the glove and be like, "Oh yeah, look at this amazing save I just made." Whereas otherwise, like other guys that will just like hit them in the, the stomach and they'll bring it in, but they're amazing goalies. That's kind of what Kawhi is. He's just like he's not flashy. He doesn't have any extra movements or even just like it's hard to really say. Like he just gets to the fat the point in which he's trying to get as fast as possible and the most direct path possible. And, like, even when he's going up for, like, a layup, it's like his arms barely move, but he's yeah. just, like, yeah, the robot arm kicks up and that and it puts the, ba- the ball in the basket. And it's uh, it's pretty wild to watch. He's really fucking good, man. I'm really excited to watch him on this team. Um, Ed Belfort never seemed like he was moving. He yeah. just covered, tired the net and was just like a wall. Yeah. I think Ka- like... Kawhi's probably got less of a drinking problem than Ed Belfort, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was mean. Hope hope Eddie the Eagles do it okay. But I think Eddie the Eagle would be the first guy to admit that he had a drinking problem. Um, Kyle Lowry also was awesome in that he was like getting under the skin of Jay Crowder at all times in a preseason game. Yeah. It's just beautiful. <laughs> Eric Kareen wrote about uh, the the fact that Kyle, no matter what the context is, is going to compete no matter what, and it's kind of terrifying at times. Wish he wouldn't always like take charges and stuff or get into mix up with dudes who are bigger than him in preseason games. But hey, that's Kyle. Yeah. That's what makes him Kyle. He's the opposite of Kawhi. He's just always on fifth gear. And yeah, you have to, <laughs> that's why you have to friggin' regulate him. And you know, obviously, they saw how effective that was last year when they limited his minutes a little bit, and then mm. he was fresher later in the year. And you know, if Delon Wright is healthy this year for the whole season, and they have Van Vliet, I, I fully expect them to kind of try to rest him and maybe sit him in the second half of some games or even in back-to-back situations, whatever they need to do to keep him fresh for the playoffs because, like you said, he only plays the one speed. Yeah, if that first half is any indication, they're going to blow a lot of teams out pretty quickly and it's going to be okay to not play Kyle very much down the stretch of games. There's going to be a lot of resting fourth quarters because... Like, the Jazz are good. You alluded to it. They're a very good team. They have a lot of talented players. Maybe their calling card is more defense than offense, but... Like, the Raptors were kind of scoring at will in those ISO situations, and then there was, like, a six-minute stretch where the Jazz, like, couldn't even complete a pass. The Raptors were just swarming so ferociously, and Kawhi was jumping passing lanes, and uh, it looks terrifying at full tilt, man. I'm really, really ready for this damn team, and I don't care about the second half of preseason games. Just get me to, like, it's, Melbourne's going to have no chance at scoring any baskets when those guys are on the court. It's... Too bad they're coming all the way here to get ass ha- their asses handed to them. But um. and there's some really, there's still some really really awful teams in the Eastern Conference too. Yeah. So oh, yeah. you have to think that they're just going to put some of those teams in the ground most of the times they play them. Like the Magic starting point guard is DJ Augustine. <laughs> they're going to score like four points and a half on the Raptors. That's going to be delicious. And, you know, Alex Len is the new starting center for the Atlanta Hawks. Oh, right. Oh, God. There's so many bad teams in the East. Holy shit. Yeah, so I shouldn't call the Magic bad. bad. They do have Terrence Ross. They'll be fine. <laughs> They'll score buckets. More on Terrence Ross later, Sean. More on Terrence Ross in just a second, actually. But before we get to Dan's picking a part of my rankings, uh, I got an ad to read to you guys. I have a sponsor to tell you about, and this is Vivid Seats. We all love a night out. Whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being there in the crowd to cheer on our favorite team. And with Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert, show, or sporting event of your choice at a great price. 
Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. To make things even better, though, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive a $20 discount off of orders of $200 or more to save even more money. Go to the App Store or Google Play, download the very free Vivid Seats app, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20 bucks, 20 bucks off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. You're not getting duped by any fake tickets. And from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater or more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app, enter promo code LOCKEDON for 20 bucks off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. It's a very, very exciting time to be a Toronto sports fan. The Maple Leafs start up tonight. The Raptors are not far off, two weeks away from home opener night. Uh, and because these teams are very good, they're probably going to be pretty pricey to go see a game for. But with Vivid Seats, you get 20 bucks off an order of $200 or more with the promo code locked on. Make a memory of la- make a memory, sorry, that lasts a lifetime, and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. Once again, the promo code locked on for $20 off orders of $200 or more. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less takeout, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. All right, Dan, let's get to this thing. Pick apart my rankings. Just just throw them at me. Name a player you're mad about, and we'll talk Mm -hmm. about it. Sure. One thing I want to do beforehand is I want to remind listeners and myself what you said said at the very beginning which is and i have a quote i wrote it down right here that this is a crudely compiled ranking with mostly arbitrary criteria a player may appear at a higher spot on the list if i that's you sean have a personal connection to something he did for whatever reason or if he had a particularly strong but short stint with the team guys who are around during areas of winning also grade out favorably on the flip side dudes whose numbers may have been unremarkably crappy will see a slide if they had a particularly notable blunder or if their existence on a roster was ex- exceptionally damaging to the health of the franchise. So that's important that it's arbitrary. Because mm-hmm. for me, when I, if I was going to be ranking these myself, I would have different criteria. I'm going to talk about that later, but that's <laughs> important Important to know. Would you so have a Zach Lowe-like league pass rankings algorithm type thing? Is that what you're talking like alluding it's, to? Yeah, okay. It's just in my brand. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. But not <laughs> It's also totally personally biased, which I would, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> in the first bit of your list, like on that one, the post that was that was one twenty to ninety one, I believe it was. Yes. Not, I don't really have uh, very many issues there, to be honest. Uh, I thought it was fine. Like a lot of those guys are probably interchangeable to some extent, and like you even called yourself out on a guy like Vincenzo Esposito. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I have yeah, it's fine. That part was totally fine. Uh, the next part, the two guys that I saw, the first two that stood out to me in this top 120, mm-hmm. uh, were Sean Marion and Jermaine O'Neal. Okay. And, and the reasons for them, and I'll let you defend where they are for whatever and any reason. The reason for me not 
agreeing. With, I thought they were maybe a little bit high. Okay. Uh, not, not exceptionally high because, again, like we talked about, the guys below them are so bad that who knows. But I'd say for the two of them, for me, the high point of their Raptors career was the day they were acquired. Right. And then after that, it was just a total downhill until the day they left. And so there wasn't really any moments of joy with either player, and mm. they were both just massively disappointing to me. So I guess <laughs> me taking your criteria of guys who I had a personal connection with, I had a very negative personal connection with both of those players. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, go ahead. Where did I have J.O. again? I know I have Marion here. In the, in the 70s. Okay. Uh, let me see here. I have Marion um, at 78. And you have J.O. at 71. Okay. Yeah, so Marion... Um, I just yeah, he didn't want to be here at all, which probably should have docked him down. But like, I was this was kind of like a beggars can't be choosers type of thing where the Raptors were so bad and Marion was like so unquestionably talented compared to so many of the players they had during the Chris Bosh era that I kind of thought he deserved a bit of a bump. Also, that thirty-four point game he had the last night of the season on like fourteen of seventeen or something. I thought that game was kind of like an achievement that not many Raptors during that time frame were capable of achieving. So. Uh, I probably put him a little bit higher because of that. J.O., I think the reason I put him at 71 was because he was more of a victim, I think, of circumstance than he was just, like, not being a good player. Like, it's not like he was in the peak of his powers when the Raptors traded for him, right? He was already 30, a guy who was already injured and kind of coming off a couple seasons where I think he was banged up a little bit. And just, like, putting him in a lineup where... Bargnani and Bosch were both in heavy rotation. I just it was never going to quite work, I don't think. And like just the way he was talked up when he came, there were so many like Tim Duncan, David Robinson comparisons and like I think incorrectly built up this image in Raptors fans' minds of what it was going to be and that was just never going to be attainable and then just like the the roster around him didn't make sense. Obviously, he was hurt for a little bit too, missed some games. And he wasn't good. Let's say like we'll put that out there. He wasn't particularly good, but like I don't think he was exceptionally terribly bad either I think he was kind of what you'd expect for a guy who's in his 30s who's been hurt and is kind of past the peak of his career yeah fair enough yeah. that's fair I just I don't know I think just that to me it was a terrible yeah. disappointment the way it all worked out but I think if you had more of a level head and didn't take sort of the offseason hyping of it totally into account um, then like it didn't go quite go as far away from expectations as it probably seems like it did in, in hindsight you know what I mean yeah, yeah, definitely. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, the next thing I was going to point out, uh, yeah. if we move on those guys, is something you actually, I remember you consulted me, and I know you talked about some other people via email, where I've written it down as Bargnani versus the shitty point guard triumvirate. <laughs> uh, and I am glad that you did rank Bargnani ahead of those guys. Yeah. Uh, in the, and that was down in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me just find those just for a second. Sorry. Uh, I do have everything open here. So... Uh, there was the Mark Jackson, Muggsy Bogues, Chris Childs, Triumvirate. Pretty much all uh, the same guy at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, and they are all for various reasons. Obviously, very different players, but you wrote a yeah try. A, you wrote you used the word Triumvirate in the in the post. Actually. I did. I, like, I did. So there, there you go. Excellent, excellent vocab. Um, <laughs> but you know, Jackson was the off the all offense guy who did no defense, and uh, as you mentioned, was doing like the Kings era Rajon Rondo, just totally going for assists and disregarding like team basketball to the point that the Raptors jettisoned uh, for Chris Childs. Yeah. Uh, and then Childs was, you know, an excellent defender, but, uh, you know, very limited kind of a player. 
uh, and they really made that you know that huge huge error in the playoffs. <laughs> Uh, and Muggsy was delightful. He was fun to have on the team, but he was just kind of at the end of his career. So yeah. um, those three guys, you know, very similar, as you said, in impact to the team. They're all around the playoff impact Raptors, but, like, you know, weren't, like, key, key contributors. Do you think it was uh, fair of me to put Childs ahead of those two even slightly? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think he did more for the team. I think he yeah. was uh, – his defense was needed on that team. Like, they had Vince on the perimeter um, – they had uh, Mo Pete. They had other guys who could score the ball. Uh, you know, they had Del Curry. They had uh, other people. They needed a guy who could really just go out there and lock people down, and he did that. He was uh, he was not amazing, and obviously he couldn't really shoot, but he uh, he he gave them kind of a hard nosed edge on the perimeter they didn't really have. They had a great uh, toughness inside with Oakley and Davis and mm. uh, Willis and like all those kinds of guys, but they needed a guy in the perimeter who could do that, and he gave that to them. If there's something I really miss about today's NBA, like something that's lacking, it's that kind of like grimy, dirty, sloppy boy point guard who <laughs> doesn't really have any business being on the team aside from the fact that he's very good at defense. And like that's just like maybe Patrick Beverly's like the only guy like that now because every point guard now is. You know, either like a off the dribble specialist, or an excellent playmaker, or or kind of like a combo score playmaker, or at the very least, like like the, the, these guys are the, the offense runs through these guys a lot more than I think they used to in the past, right? So yeah, other than Patrick Beverly, I can't even think of someone. Maybe like Mario Chalmers and like Norris Cole during those Heat years is kind of the right. last representation of that type of thing. But I do miss like the, the day when the point guard wasn't really the like, he'd bring in the ball at the court, but was kind of, after he dished it off, was kind of a non-factor in the offense. It was just there to kind of get into dudes at the other end. Like Eric Snow. But a guy like Jameer Nelson, who feels that role now. Like, Jameer Nelson made an all-star team. Yeah, so and like, he shoots a whole bunch of threes now and stuff. Yeah. yeah. They're be- they're just better in quality than what would have the players that would have filled that role in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'm I, I am happy. I just this is a, I did put some uh, some compliments in here too, John. I'm happy that you put Marnyani as much as you didn't want to ahead of ahead of those guys because I mean if you look at his numbers, kind of break them down. Obviously, overall, Andrea Marnyani was a big steaming dump of a disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, if you look at some of the things he did, like his rookie season when he came off the bench and was. Shot really well, played really well in the playoffs. He had other seasons where he showed those flashes. The flashes for him were more extended. They were like sometimes 15 and 20 game stretches. And like, yeah. if you try to look at him objectively, even though, you know, he's 54th, which for the only first overall pick in franchise history is just, again, as I said, just a huge dump. And it's just terrible. Yeah. But um, he's more valuable than those three guys. <laughs> yeah. That's my point. Yeah, so I was I was pleased that you wound up putting him there. And it's just like if you think of even like first overall picks since like the mid nineties, he's nowhere sure. near even near like the bottom five. Like there's Kwame Brown, there's like Olokandi, there's like Bennett, like there's been a lot of kind of stinky first overall picks. Sure. Even like Wiggins Wiggins is probably the closest approximation to Bargnani, I think, probably. So um, far. In yeah. terms of a guy who has not quite lived up the potential, has been given an enormous contract, maybe undeservingly, and has not really grown into it at all. I mean, I guess Wiggins plays every game and plays a bunch of minutes, so that's a little bit different than Barks. But, um, huh. yeah, there's uh, there are definitely worse guys than Bargnani, and I, I do think 
the the 0607 season his rookie year where he was really good off the bench and I think he came second in rookie of the year voting like that counts towards his case as to why he should be higher for sure I think the thing that really was sort of the the deal sealer for me is to putting him so low compared to like his draft stock and importance within the franchise and like where he sits on all-time lists is that one season where they were 22 and 60 with him as the number one guy like that speaks volumes of how shitty he was definitely that's fair and that's totally fair and that's you know i i wasn't arguing for him to be in the top 30 or anything but i just he was better than those guys to me pretty clearly mm-hmm. what did you so think of me putting pj tucker one spot ahead of him i thought it was great because okay. it's not really probably right if you're doing it objectively but i love pj tucker so <laughs> i have no problem again as you said arbitrary rankings and if you love a player and he made a big impression on you like that stretch run with P.J. Tucker a few years ago, was, or two years ago, I guess it was, was one of the most fun stretches as a Raptors fan I can remember. And he was a huge part of it. And like him flying cross-country and not sleeping for like, what was it? I'm going to extend it and make it 11 36 hour. hours or something? Yeah. yeah. Let's make it 72 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and just keep exaggerating it until it was P.J. Tucker was up for three weeks in a row and still came and grabbed 10 rebounds and put the Celtics on the ground. Like... It's just it's the stuff of legends, and I you know that and Bargnani never had a moment like that, so yeah. it's it's fine. Bargnani uh, definitely would have gotten punked by Isaiah Thomas in a way that Tucker was just never going to. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Definitely, he would have just yeah he would have wilted under the gaze of Aaron Baines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's fine. That the rest of that little section is fine. In um, the next section, which is was it sixty to thirty sixty to thirty one. That's the same section we're in right now. Oh, we're still in the same section. Sorry. So yeah. a little lower in the section. Uh, I, James Johnson and Norm Powell. Yeah. Uh, I love them both. Well, actually, that's not true. I love Norm Powell. I do not love James Johnson. Yeah. Uh, uh, bad person, James Johnson. What? Did he do something bad? I didn't even know. Uh, he's got a couple of domestic violence uh, things that no. are kind of gross or extremely that's, gross. That's even worse. Yeah. So I, 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 people, the whole time people were going after Casey for not playing him more. Like, if you ever watched him actually play, like, he was such a dummy on the court. Like, oh, he has every, every physical gift, you know, you could possibly want. Uh, and the guy he became in Miami when he got in such great shape and whatever, that player did not exist in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, and it happened in both stints with the team. They gave him a second chance, and he came back, and it was the same garbage. He'd make the right play three times in a row and then make immediately make two huge bonehead plays. And I don't know. I just thought he should have been a little bit lower down. Uh, Norm, I love him, and he obviously had some great moments. You know, the Tomahawk Dunk versus Indiana, and you know, being a playoff savior and things like that. But he was really, really bad last year. Oh yeah. And so he, his it's harder with the guys who are still on the team. Yeah. Because you don't know where they're gonna go, and like I, you know, wanting the team is so good right now. Putting guys like Van Vliet and oh, Siakam, I'll talk about it in a minute. I thought Siakam was a little too high as well, just based on what he's actually accomplished. But it's hard. I get why it's harder to rank them because, you know, in a month they're going to have accomplished more. Right? Yeah, like, sort of projecting where they're going to be shortly, which is probably against the spirit of what I was trying to do. But it's kind of hard yeah. to avoid that. Right. So that's. I mean, those were the only two current guys I mentioned, other than the top ten, with Powell and Siakam. I just thought they were currently a little too high, but it's nothing big. I mean, Norm. Um, I think I. I think I. I'm okay with where I put him, just because of those two playoff moments, like. If it's not for that Pacers game five, mm. there's a very real chance that the team looks entirely different right now. I bet Casey gets fired after that series. I bet they probably trade Kyle that summer. They probably don't bring back DeMar, and it's probably an entirely different team, and we're not talking about a team just off a 59-win season that now has Kawhi freaking Leonard on it. And 
you know, it's hard to tie that all back to Norm Powell, but also that game is so pivotal in the history of the franchise that I think you can kind of almost tie it back to Norm Powell. Fair enough, and I do remember that moment. I've mentioned this. I don't. I think pretty sure it was this podcast where I mentioned it before. My uh, PVR cutout as Powell was in the air, uh, about to dunk. <laughs> like that was where the recording ended. And then when I switched, to, I recorded the program after. Luckily, yeah. so when I went clicked it, he'd already dunked it. So there was no live dunk recorded on my television. <laughs> Furious, and I always wondered how many other people that happened to. But, um, but anyway, yeah, I love. Him. So and I, I really hope that he has a bit of a comeback this year, and you know, we can crack the rotation and contribute because I wish him, I wish him well. Um, so those guys are anyway. I thought just a little high, but that's fine. Uh, Vajon Leonard is the first one where I think he's way too high. Yeah, uh, I kind of, in hindsight, probably should have put him a little lower. He just didn't play. A, he didn't even play a full season. Like he played sixty three games out of one season with the team, and he's I think he had thirty second. Honestly, I'm thirty fourth, and honestly, I think I put him there because. He's in that clump with Delfino and John Wallace as like very, very good reserves for the time they were with the team. And I think yeah. that kind of boosted them up in my mind, even though probably that was incorrect to do so. Yeah. I yeah. also wrote John Wallace down because he, I, <laughs> the words I wrote down were just a note to myself that says, he means less to me than anyone in the top 100. And I, <laughs> I, and I watched every game back then. I don't have any memory. Like I know he was on the team and I know he was a good shooter. But I, I just don't have any memory of him doing anything. Else. On the contrary, so, we don't know if he was a good shooter or not because he only took two threes in 3,173 minutes. Right. Sorry. <laughs> uh, he was an efficient scorer. Uh, he was a <laughs> is what you had quoted in the article. But he was, yeah. So he was fine. Yeah. But uh, he was not, uh, for me, that's just high. And then the last one, which is before we get to something I want to, a little like, exercise I have to um. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. JYD at 32, behind Rudy Gay, Alva Robertson, and Rafer Crybaby Alston is an abomination. <laughs> JYD's got to be higher than that. I think he's even maybe in the top 20. Like, I realize his on-court contribution doesn't match that, but just his popularity with the team and how much people loved him and, like, what he was to the franchise. I, mean, I know maybe it doesn't count that he's, like, still around. <laughs> still yeah. kind of hangs around and does stuff. But for me, just personally, if I'm ranking him, if I was doing the same criteria as you where it's personal bias, mm. I would have had him a lot higher than that. But especially, I would have definitely had him ahead of Rudy Goddamn Gay. <laughs> I think JYD is now a, one of my bigger regrets. So I went into the JYD thing sort of – Trying not to be swayed by how much of a fan favorite he was because sometimes fans are idiots. And I, for some reason, 
maybe was underappreciating or underselling in my mind JYD's actual comp- contributions. And, like, that's probably wrong. Like, he was a very good defender. He was, yeah. you know, a, a started for more than half of his time with the team and was part of a couple playoff teams that really mattered, especially the, the 2001 one. And I think I, for some reason... I was trying to be sort of a contrarian a little bit and be like, hey, like this guy's not as important as maybe people think. I think I did the same thing with him that I did with Mo Pete, although I actually believe it with Mo Pete more than I do with JYD. Um, I'm sure we'll get to Mo Pete in a bit, but um, yeah, I probably should have put JYD higher. Now that I look back, his like on-court contributions weren't bad for a rotation big, eight and seven with 1.1 assists and then 1.3 steals. Like more than a steal a game for a big is pretty nice. Like that, that's 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 very important and. Like you said, the the wing defense on that team I don't think was particularly awesome outside of Chris Childs. So to have wow. JYD kind of back there as another dude, like I think he would have done really well in today's NBA as like a switchy big man, right? So um, he was not as good as, but yeah. Draymond. That's like the build he was. He was yeah. like back the uh, undersized guy who could do a little bit of everything, who worked harder than anyone else on the floor. Yeah. And, it was, and he was, you know, a DC wasn't a good passer, but he didn't make mistakes. Like he didn't turn the ball over a lot. Mm-hmm. He was, yeah, he, he he was the guy that didn't need the ball on the court. Would you need a guy like that? Like yeah. he was, and he was a really really nice group player. So I would have had him a little higher. Yeah, I think you're right on that one. I'll take the L on that. I think probably even if I just flipped the number and made him 23, I think that's probably even close to acceptable. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, um. So looking here, okay. So then getting into the top 30. Most of it is fine. Like, and again, I want to say this to anyone who's listening. I do understand, and Sean has obviously had people, you know, discussing these in the comments and discussing them <laughs> on Twitter or whatever, that this is a completely thankless task, especially when you get to the top, because everyone has their own opinions and their own personal biases and their yeah. own case to be made. And, like, I think when we get into the top ten, you'll see, like, the top four chapters are pretty unassailable, and you can kind of move them around based on what you want to do. Um, I'm going to... I, I wanted to do something, which is, <laughs> I was reading my own writing, and it was also mean to you, so I'm not going to be as mean to you as I think I, I don't actually mean it, I just thought it would be funny. And then Bring it on, book. bitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can talk about that in a minute. Uh, so, I wrote, uh, I'm quoting you from the Hakeem Olajuwon section, which says, if this was a ranking based on the full careers everyone who played here for the Raptors and not just the Raptors' exploits, Hakeem Olajuwon would be the clear winner. Unfortunately, we're forced to rank the crumbling husk of a top three center in history on what he did with the team. So for me, if I was re-ranking or if I was ranking these players, like what I'm looking for is what who are the if you're talking about the top ten, who are the top ten Raptors who meant the most to the franchise and contributed the most to the franchise through their play on the floor? Okay. So if you'll, if you'll bear with me. I re-ranked my own top 10, if you don't mind. Are we just skipping 30 to 11? No, no, sorry, excuse me. We should go back to 30 to 11. I was saying, I actually, 30 to 11, I don't have a lot of problems. I thought you did a really nice job. Okay. But uh, between 20 and 11, I pulled a couple of those guys out and put them in the top 10. Okay. Uh, I really, I actually really like, oh yeah, sorry, I had one more thing I wanted to say. I kind of skipped ahead there. Terrence Ross, appropriately ranked. Thank you. Uh, I, yeah, you did a really nice job restraining yourself, <laughs> and I think he, that's that's the perfect spot for him. I think uh, when you look at his numbers, like his cumulative numbers, I, he was on the team for longer than I remembered, and yeah, like he just, you know, he's such a good shooter when he was on the 51-point game. He does have those memorable moments. He was part of those winning teams, and uh, yeah, he's that, that's actually, that is the right spot for him, so very, very 
Good job, Sean. I also don't know if I've ever seen a player, and this is kind of why I love Terrence Ross so much and why he's maddening to, I think, a lot of people, but I've never seen a player to whom the game seemed to come easier when he was on. Like, he was just so smooth all the time. Those 51 points were so effortless. And, like, he just looked cool as hell when he was doing it. So, I know some people hate that he couldn't do that all the time. I appreciated that it was available in fleeting glimpses. Um, (laughs) And I think people sleep on that steal. Yes, they lost the game in Game 7 against the Nets, but that steal, my God. Like, what? especially on Paul Pierce, too. Like, to throw it off of Paul Pierce and out. Like, had they won that game... And obviously part of the reason they lost the game is because Terrence stood on the wrong side of the floor. Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> sorry. It's got to in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. That that steal is just like such a perfect moment. You got Mike Tirico on the call doing it too. Just it's just, okay. just a chef's kiss. So thank you for not <laughs> having issue with where I put Terrence Ross. I could have put him at like 20, but I decided to restrain myself like you said. Yeah, no, I think and it was, it, you know what, it showed, and uh, we're all very proud of you for putting up my worries tonight. So, the top 10, uh, I'm going to kind of combine, I know it's 30 to 11 as the one post, but yeah. there's a couple guys I would pull out of the top 10 and a couple guys I would put back in. Okay. So, uh, if you don't mind, can I read my top 10 and the reasoning for each one? I'll do it kind of quickly. And yeah, then sure. You can, is that okay? Yeah. So, all right. So, for me, uh, the honorable mention to the top 10 for me would be Alvin Williams, who I really wanted to put 10th, but I couldn't do it. And you had him as 17th. Um, he's another guy that, uh, obviously not a flashy Raptor, but played a long time in the uniform and kind of during that tumultuous Carter era uh, was a guy who was really kind of rock solid and was everything that you wanted from a player. Yeah. And even though maybe his talent wasn't at the, you know, at TJ Ford level or even a, a even if, to be frank, like a Ray for Alston level, yeah. he just meant more to the team to me, uh, and just didn't. He was always out there busting his ass and was doing the thankless job of being the backcourt partner to Vince Carter, uh, who <laughs> you know, get all the accolades and all the glory, and deservedly so. Yeah. But um, you know, being that guy that rocked so that he would guard the other team's best player, so Vince didn't have to. He would do a lot of other things. Uh, kind of cover up the things. Be a glue player, kind of like JYD, as we mentioned. Right. And the fact that he was on the team for so long. For me, I had him just outside the top 10. I originally had him 10th, and then I couldn't justify it. Um, so 10th, I had Damon Stoudemire. Okay. Uh, team's first best player. Captured the hearts. I re- I've written a lot of this down, so I'm just going to kind of <laughs> Captured the hearts and minds of the city and young fans. Averaged 41 minutes a game, which is insane. That is insane. Over his two team seasons of the team. The king of Skydome beat Jordan's Bulls. But he's and this is the thing where he drops down. He still only played two seasons really, and then demanded a trade, which gave Toronto fans a complex forever. <laughs> Set yep. the table, Camby, Carter, and everyone else. Uh, ninth, I had Antonio Davis. Uh, you know, one of five Raptors to make an All Star team in the uniform. Key contributor to the first playoff era of the team. I mentioned all this before, but you know, gave the team an attitude and an edge. Um, not as talented or efficient as players like Danielle Marshall or even Patrick Patterson, but yeah. always really, really gave a shit and like left it on the floor. And you could, you, it really could it would influence the team because the, he was on the floor all the time. He played over 30 minutes a game as the starting center and was a guy that kind of gave them that, that, that edge and that identity. And that 0-2 um, run with Vince out was kind of all AD-powered, right? Like, Mo Pete was really good in that too. Alvin was good, but like AD was kind of the heart of that run. 
He totally was. And you could tell he wanted it yeah. because I he never said anything about it, but just based on the way he plays the game and based on the way, like, you, when you read him speaking in interviews, I can't imagine him and Vince were, like, best friends. <laughs> uh, so, um, this next part's going to be fun. Number eight, I have uh, the man himself, Amir Johnson. Okay. Uh, and so I've written, my boy, the advanced stats darling that caused Sean to call Eric Karina bitch. <laughs> Johnson ranks fifth all-time in games played in a Raptors uniform, top five in all major cumulative rebounding categories, ninth in steals, second in blocks. He's first all-time in field goal percentage and effective field goal percentage and fourth in true shooting percentage, sixth in box plus minus, and fourth in team history in value over a replacement player, only behind Lowry, Bosch, and Carter. Mm-hmm. And this is a stat quoted multiple times by you, Shad Woodley, during this ranking exercise. Which either shows how flawed Warp is or how good Amir is. I'm not totally sure. Probably a bit of both. Uh, he is 669% nice. More valuable to the franchise than Daniel Marshall. Who, as you mentioned when you were just now talking about Bargnani. Uh, and, you know, a big thing against him is how shitty the teams he was on were. Mm. Daniel was on the team for two seasons. Like, the teams both went 33-49. and 49. In that vaunted 03-04 season, the team was 8-8 eight and eight when they traded for him and went 25-41 and 41 with him in the lineup. <laughs> so I love Danielle, but I, I knocked Danielle out of the top 10 for a year. Um, Valanciunas, I have 7th. I think you had him 6th, so he's proper where he is. He's great. Yeah, I think he could finish in the tie. He, he's one of the guys that could crack that top 4 if he sticks around for another contract. See, I don't think so because Kawhi might get there just on one season alone. This is fair. Yeah. Uh, this is fair, and that's—you never know. But I'm just saying, if he sticks around and plays his whole career with the team, I, which I don't see happening, but he's still only like 27 years old, 26 years old. He's insanely and, young. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, it's incredible, and just the way he's being used and the things you've seen from him, and you know, this potential bond with Nick Nurse—we've heard that it was such a thing. Mm-hmm. That uh, makes him consistent because that's the thing. When he's at his best. Uh, he's fantastic, and sometimes he just isn't there. Or he gets knocked out of his rhythm. But uh, I love him. I love having him there, and I, I love that. Despite all you know, the the ups and downs with him, that he's that high, and most people I think agree with him in the top ten. Um, you know what's crazy he, is uh, Delon Wright is eleven days older than Jonas Valanciunas. <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. yeah. That is wild. Now the next one is the one I think you're going to have the biggest issue with at number six. I have my, the man himself, Morris Peterson. Ew. Okay, and now let me defend myself. So here. I said the biggest slight on your entire list of 218 players was having no Pete outside the top 10. I admittedly have him high here. You could put him 7th or 8th and I wouldn't argue with you. But 15th behind Anthony Parker, TJ Ford, and the just debunked Daniel Marshall? For shame, Woodley. <laughs> For shame. He wasn't an all-star. But he was our bridge from playoff runs of the Carter era through the tough times of Babcocky and Malady. <laughs> he played seven seasons with the Raptors, and they made the playoffs in four of them. The first three seasons and his final one, the surprise 06-07 season when Bosch transformed completely into a superstar. He was our rock, a reminder of what almost was and what could have been. He never took a night off, routinely being asked to guard the best perimeter player on the other team at a time when his Eastern opponents had players like a blossoming LeBron James, Paul Pierce, Allen Iverson, young Andre Iguodala, Rip Hamilton, and yes, Vince friggin' Carter himself. (laughs) Was he going to stop them? No. But he was sure going to make them work and give the fans, who had so little to be hopeful about, something to hang their hat on. Mo Pete belongs right here among the all-time Raptor greats, gone but not forgotten. And that's where he belongs. It's at six. For me. I think you're wrong. 
Okay. But I appreciate the effort put into the explanation as to why you have him there. Thank you. Anthony Parker was an objectively better player during his time with the Raptors than Mo P was at any point during his time with the Raptors. I'm sorry. He yeah. just was. It's fine. That's true. So is Kawhi Leonard already. <laughs> so is, you know, so was Daniel Marshall. But that's that's the thing is it's not necessarily for me about the peak of their but it's not like Anthony Parker was like a short lived. Three years is like long in Raptors land. Like that, that's a long tenure compared to a lot of guys. And in his time, he's one of the biggest reasons they became good. Like obviously, Bosch becoming what he became is obviously the biggest reason. But Parker was. There's a reason he took all of Mo Pete's minutes in that playoff season in 06 07. Like you mentioned, Mo Pete made it four years out of his seven. The last year, he was kind of a bit part of that team. Yes, he had the Michael Ruffin moment, but. Like, Anthony Parker took all of his minutes for a reason. He was awesome, and he was a really good shooter, a very good defender, a much better defender than Mo Pete was, despite your valiant standing for him. Um, like, Mo Pete wasn't a very good defender. He was a culprit in the 81-point game for Kobe, which is a, a pox on the Raptors' history and also the entire NBA because Kobe fans are the absolute fucking worst. And also, I think I probably downgraded Mo Pete a little bit because he's a really bad broadcaster. That's probably not fair. But he was a really, really bad broadcaster for those couple years they had him on TV. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, one time I was working security at the Much Music Video Awards, and he gave me a dap and a hug. So <laughs> he, gets, he gets bumped up. And he was wearing a sweet white suit. Okay. So, yeah. I just I, I think Mo Pete is very much like a lot of those early era Raptors where the franchise had never known anything good before. So yeah. they are kind of built up in people's minds as better than they were. Like he's very much like an Alvin Williams or a JYD in that like they are sort of mythologized to a degree that I think doesn't really fit what they were in terms of players and their overall talent. Like Mo Pete is not one of the five most talented wings the Raptors have ever had. No, of course not. And I, no. I, I think that has to be in that you know, conversation for a bit, right? And, like, he made the playoffs the first three years because he was playing with Vince. And, yes, yeah. like, he, they yeah. made the playoffs that one year, and Mo Pete and AD were the reason when Vince was hurt that they made that big, you know, charge towards the playoffs. That's a big feather in his cap, obviously. But I just think on the body of work, he was there for some really bad years. Yes, he was a bridge, but it's not like he helped build, like, rebuild the bridge across or anything like that. He was just kind of there. And it was nice that he stuck around. He was, like, the first longest tenured dude. He played a lot of games. He didn't get hurt. I think that's a big feather in his cap, too. But at some point, I just want the better player. And Anthony Parker was a better player. And Doug Christie was a better player. So I put them higher. Doug Christie, I can see the argument. Anthony Parker, I love Anthony Parker. He didn't even get back to the NBA until he was 31 years old. But that's besides the point. When he was with the Raptors, he was a better player than Mo Pete was. I don't know, yeah, maybe, but I, I, if we're talking about the player that is most important in Raptors history, who is that's what, that's what I'm saying, like the player who, to me, is a more important Raptor, like not a better NBA basketball player necessarily, although that is obviously part of it. Uh, I think Mo Pete, just his tenure with the team and uh, the teams he was a part of are, were more memorable and more important than anything Anthony Parker did. Although I love Anthony Parker, and he would be close on this list to me. Like, he would be in the 12 range. Like, where you had him was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he belongs there. I just think more people belongs higher. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. By the way, okay. Amir Johnson, I was very close to putting top 10. Um, him and Danielle could have gone out of their way. I wanted to make a point with Danielle just because, that, again, that kind of touches on my criteria about how 
he, you know, that, that, that season was really, really fun to watch for me, watching Danielle do all that shit and just cook. And, like, sure. the, the numbers he put up that year, the fact that I, I included this story in the post, but Glenn, Glenn Grunwald told me last year that a month into that season, they got a call from the head office asking why they couldn't score any points. And yeah. the fact that Danielle came in just after that conversation would have taken place and made them more watchable, like, that, that matters to me. And he was like the twelve the twelve three game for the longest time is just one of the coolest records. Um, the fact that like Kobe had to share it with Danielle Marshall just makes me so happy. Just like oh, it's so beautiful and delicious. So yeah, yeah I'd have no qualms with putting him at nine. I, maybe I could have put a mere higher. Um, did you leave T Mac out of your top ten? I guess I did. Okay, so maybe I could have put a mere ahead of T Mac, but uh, T Mac's peak, I think, even. For the one season was was higher than Amir ever reached, but again, the, the stat I included about Amir that the Raptors were a minus four eighty two in his six years with the team, and he was a plus three ninety nine. But that's yeah, fucked that's up pretty- and uh, and very cool. And I probably could have put him higher, but sorry. Carry on with the rest of your top ten. So the rest of the top five we have are the same five people. Okay. Uh, so Calderon, I have fifth. Uh, I just wrote a quick note. Maybe the most unexpectedly fun Raptor ever. A man that I love. He became such a lights out shooter, which is wild. Considering I watched every minute of his rookie season and he could not shoot. <laughs> he had 16% from three as a rookie. Um, his 50, 40, 90, I wrote absolutely goddamn counts, even though people say that it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, as does his all time single free throw percentage mark, uh, which is a fun fact. It was the season he shot the most free throws per game in his career, was when he shot 98.1% from the line. So he just got better with practice and he's quite a hamsmith. And just go back to So I think he's fifth no matter what. I think that's where he belongs. Yeah, I think uh, uh, he's four. prone to being knocked uh, down by maybe a Jonas season or uh, a Kawhi doing a Kawhi thing this season. But for now, top five, I think, is very fitting for Jose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I've got Chris Bosh fourth. I love Chris Bosh. Uh, a man I wrote, a man I will never boo. <laughs> uh, I thought it wasn't really his fault the way he left. Colangelo should have dealt him. Like, if he wasn't going to resign or commit to resigning, they should have traded him, and Colangelo didn't do that. Uh, he resigned the first time. He played out his contract. They failed to put a team around him. I can't say, you know, bang on anyone for sacrificing being the guy to become part of something bigger, to be a winner. Yeah. Uh, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and anyone who says anything different is on meth, is what my note says. <laughs> <laughs> I hope his health is right. Would love to see him as a late-season veteran minimum addition, 15th man kind of thing for the Raptors. If this season goes the way we hope it will, yeah. that probably won't happen. But I don't think I know. want that to happen because I don't want him to play basketball anymore. Yeah, I, I want him to be okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I've got him fourth. I've got uh, Vince Carter, I've got third. Okay. Uh, instead of second. Um, and for me, I put Vince's third, and I'm not going to go into it. Anyone who's listened to me on podcasts and stuff knows that I still have a bit of a bone to pick with Vince. Um, and I'm not going to get into all that, but I've said, I've talked at nauseum about why, but I'll add this caveat. If you want to ding pickle dicks like Hito and Bargnani for the damage <laughs> they did to the franchise, you have to do the same thing to Carter. Now, obviously, he brought loads more positive value to the team than those turds ever did, which is why, <laughs> ranked, which is why he's ranked here and they're down wherever the hell they are. But he did leave the team a shadow of itself. And while Rap Bobcock is to blame for a ton of that, Vince has to bear some responsibility. He still still has never apologized, even going so far as to insult fans and the Carter Effect propaganda bullshit as to say he never requested a trade. Okay, fine. Verbally, we can't be sure did he ever say he wanted a trade, but he definitely dropped his pants and took a giant dump on the court for half a season. Mm-hmm. I was there. I watched it. 
Can I forgive him? Sure, fine. He's forgiven. We all make mistakes. I hope he enjoys playing on an Atlanta team that wins 12 games this season. <laughs> but don't expect me to forget him. And so for me, he's third. Um, he, but I think even with Kawhi, the most physically gifted Raptor probably that's ever played, yeah. uh, he should be number one on the list. He should have been, but uh, he's not. Yeah, that, see, that was my punishing for the the shit on the way out. Like, yeah. Otherwise, he's number one. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I, I, the reason I had him at tomorrow, and I pointed that out, like, there's not going to be as much as the Carter effect was shitty. There's not going to be a DeRozan documentary documentary made about his contributions to Canadian basketball. As like, the Vince, the culture building that Vince brought was pretty enormous. Um, and like, he very well could have saved them from a relocation, and that's not something Demar can sort of hang his hat on. So no. that, that's the only reason I put, but like that was my toughest ranking decision. I got to say, like it was really difficult. They're two completely different cases and just opposite players in terms of how their careers went with the team and sort of their, how the departures went. Like Demar did not want to go at all to the point that he's mad at the team for trading him. Like exactly. Vince was mad at the team for a whole other reason. But yeah, like that you can't sort of. It's it's a very much I think a personal preference thing and I think fifty percent of people will have Demar two fifty percent would have Demar or, or Vince two like right. I, I don't think I wouldn't begrudge anyone for having Demar two I totally get it yeah. yeah well so my next decision was the toughest one for me okay. um, I thought Vince was clearly three and I think Lowry and DeRozan are one and two yeah uh, um so I had the toughest time with this one I actually have Lowry two oh. for now for now okay. And I wrote this because I have Lowry. I said he's undoubtedly a better basketball player than Tamar DeRozan. <laughs> All the advanced stats back it up, as does the eye test if you spent any time watching this team over the past half decade. I think that if he plays out these next two seasons of his contract at anything close to the level he's been at over the past two seasons, he'll grab the crown unquestionably. But to me, for now, he's number two. And the reason is, I've got DeRozan number one. And it's because, and I said, look, <laughs> I'm going to read this word for word. Because I wrote it all out to explain it. I said, look, I can hear Hackett screaming from here. So <laughs> let me make my case. All-time leader in games, minutes, points scored, field goals, field goal attempts, two-point field goals, two-point field goal attempts, free throws and attempts, second in steals, third in assists, fifth in rebounds. And then when you obviously, when you get to the advanced stats, he falls off. He's usually in the top ten, but nowhere near the top of the list. I do get it. He wasn't perfect. He's definitely not the most talented Raptor of all time and definitely was not the most effective. But... When you look back at those stats and you see the gap between him and other people in certain ones, for example, Mm -hmm. for games, he's played 133 games more than second place Mo Pete, 4,181 minutes more than second place Chris Bosh, scored 3,021 more than second place Chris Bosh in points, he's got 1,102 field goals more than second place Bosh, Mm -hmm. uh, and 532 uh, more free throws than also second place Chris Bosh. He's tied with Lowry for second in steals. Like, just the monumental kind of chasm in those categories. Couple that, I know the playoff success is a big thing for people, and it's a big thing for me. I get it. Um, But, you know, in some of those seasons, he was trying to carry the team with a broken down Lowry. Lowry was hurt in the playoffs for three of those five runs. This is a guy who tied a fucking shoelace around his busted-ass thumb rather than come (laughs) out of a playoff game, who put more pressure on himself than we could ever put on him with our endless debates about his style of play and whether or not he could ever be a winner. This is a man who could have sat back in the shadows but spoke up for mental health, and yes, that matters to me. This is a man who, unlike the other guys in the top four, unequivocally and absolutely, as you just said, Sean, always wanted to be here from his first day as a Raptor until his last. 
He and Lowry, hand-in-hand, brought this franchise back from the Dark Ages. He improved facets of his game every year, but still had gaping holes. He did everything he could with what he had, but it still wasn't good enough, at least not yet in his career. That sounds to me, and this is lame, a lot like a franchise I know. He might not be first on the the stat sheet, but he's first in my heart, and I know a lot of fans that feel the same way. Kyle Lowry might have overtaken one day, but for me, that day isn't today. The final feather in his cap, ironically, might be that he had to be the one sacrificed for the Raptors to finally reach the promised land. If Toronto makes the finals this season, it will be, in no small part, because of the contributions that DeMar DeRozan made to the team, helping bring them back from a laughing stock to respectability, and that does indeed happen to glory. And we owe him, and for now, he's number one on my list. Are you crying? I am crying. <laughs> it's, in here. it's a compelling anyway, case. I That's why, but again... I have no issues with anyone who has Lowry number one. I get it. Yeah. But just for me, that's that's why DeRozan is the number one. Kind of the most important Raptor for me. That's if you're fair. That way. That's fair. My counter to that would be none of the success that DeRozan's had on a winning level the last five years comes without Lowry, I don't think. Whereas I think Lowry... Uh, Lowry was capable, I think, of carrying the team to... Maybe not the 50-win plat- like heights they got to, but I think... He was more responsible for the turnaround in the team. And, like, DeRozan's first couple of years, obviously, you know, it's not entirely his fault. He was still early in his career and developing and all that stuff, and it was a terrible roster. But, like, he didn't really take off until a couple of years after Lowry really took off. And I just think Lowry, the, the advanced stats matter to me. And, like, the advanced stats say Lowry's one of the ten best players in the damn league, not just like a very good Raptor like he's been one of the best players in the entire NBA the last five years and for me that's why he's there I just like I think every box he checks and uh, I uh, like it just he's so so goddamn good that I and so much better than DeMar and like the DeMar he had the issues with the playoffs that Lowry had too but I think Lowry's was more tied to injuries and yes injuries matter but like a couple of those years Especially the one year against the Wizards, like the reason he was hurt is because Demar got hurt and Lowry carried the team for half the season, and was unbelievable that season, and that it just caught up to him. But like, he's been good when healthy in the playoffs. Like I think he kind of squashed the he's not good in the playoffs is like all time historic shooting numbers. It's no longer the thing anymore after this last playoff run. Um, and I just think like Demar's playoffs struggles were I think kind of the most uh, like they were the biggest reason the Raptors couldn't get by in the playoffs I think and I yes. think that matters so that that's my reasoning the playoff stuff came into a, in, into a big time for me and I just think Lowry has sort of more standout playoff moments he is a lot he's very human in terms of like his career trajectory as well and DeMar's is too obviously but I just uh I've always related to Lowry more I've always liked Lowry as a player more just in terms of his style and I think his yeah. contributions are, are greater. So that's kind of why I have him yeah. number one. Yeah, you can't go wrong. I think just for me, I wanted to have them beside each other. I think yeah. one and two. That's fair. That their, their careers are so inextricably, inextricably linked to this point. Uh, obviously, that's going to change now because things are going to be different. But, um, yeah, I, just, I think they're one and two. I think that they the way they brought the team back from everything that had happened and how bad it had been. Because, like, the Bosch blip with the two playoffs was nice, but, like, they didn't do anything, really. And the East was so shitty at that time, too. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so this, this, this era, this run, this five-year run, is really the first time where it's been sustainable since Vince. Yeah. 
So for those two guys to kind of bring the team back to the light and have them back where they are now is, uh, I think that's just, it's, it's, it kind of eclipses anything that those guys, that, that the people lower in the top 10 had, had, had ever done. So, uh, yeah, if you have Lowry one, I get it for sure. I would say one thing when, uh, when Lowry got hurt, when they acquired uh, Tucker and Ibaka and yeah. uh, the team played really, really well with that. And DeRozan was the focal point of that. But again, like you said, I mean, over the sustained amount of time, it's obviously Lowry over DeRozan they, in terms of basketball. But they won a lot of games. I mean, they went fourteen and seven in that run, but that was some really of the ugliest ball. shit I've ever seen, man. Like those yeah. were like I think the defense of Ibaka and Tucker as like their closing four or five was as responsible as DeRozan's thirty eight percent usage. Yeah, yeah. Like that game against the Knicks where he hit right. that winner over Derrick Rose was great, but also. I remember watching that game in my living room with William Liu, and we were just like dumbfounded looking at each other like, this is what they are without Lowry. This is unwatchable garbage. They bailed yeah. it out, obviously, but I just, I couldn't. Yeah, they were yeah. yeah, they were. They won games. Was my point. Like it yeah. wasn't. You know what I mean. But you're right. If that, I'm sure that wouldn't have been sustainable. Come playoff. Time, like so. the takes that came but, out about like, know. oh, like do they even need Lowry? Like, can't they just like bring no, back Corey was... Joseph as the starter? It's like fuck off, man. Like, have you yeah. ever watched yep. this team? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's not. That's not my point. Anyway, Sean, I just want to say congratulations on finishing the two eighteen because you did a wonderful job. Well, thank you I very much. Yeah, just throw out a different case there. And like, I was reading the comments and stuff before, and there'll be guys that have different top tens or top fives than either you or me. So, yeah. um, you know, everyone can have teach their own. But uh, I think you know it's a really tough, uh, tough hill that you climbed there. So, uh, <laughs> well, well done. Again, the top ten was like way less interesting to me than the first few posts because it, it was just like blast from the past stuff. But um, also, apologies to Eric Kareen for accidentally calling him a bitch. Didn't mean to do that. <laughs> You want to explain that? Thank you for being an internet cop, but... (laughs) It was too funny for me not to mention. Yeah, I was in the Danielle Marshall thing, because Eric tweeted at me over the weekend that saying that putting Amir ahead of Danielle, or behind Danielle, was an egregiousty, an egregious travesty, and I took issue with that, and wrapped up the Danielle thing by saying, deal with it, bitch, he's number nine, and it because I started off with the tweet Eric sent me, it seemed to imply that I was calling Eric a bitch. Which I was not. Eric is not a bitch. Also, he really helped to uh, provide some context to a young, idiotic me in the Antonio Davis part. Because I slagged Wayne Embry for the uh, Antonio Davis-Jalen Rose second trade with the Knicks. Um, even though that actually really helped the Raptors and was a big reason Colangelo took the job. Which you could argue that's not the best thing in the world. But at the time, it seemed good. And they got off a bunch of money. Yeah, they signed Anthony Parker. They signed Garbo that summer with the cap space created by that cap circumvention. So apologies to Eric. I, I included a revision in the piece, uh, including Eric's context. So, um, But yeah, Eric Eric Kareen is not a bitch. He's wonderful. He's so good at his job. Read his thing on Kyle Lowry today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a good guy. We used to live in the same house. I, I told you, you. You told me that. He's a delightful man. Anyway, uh, all right, man. That's uh, yeah. That's those are that's the that's the, the top ten that I wanted to do. The things I wanted to say, the notes that I had for you. So cool. Uh, but mostly, mostly great job. Thank you very much. We've gone significantly longer than I'm supposed to go on these things. But hey, it's a special episode. Um, Dan, anything that you want people to check out? Where can people find your work? Uh, Raptors HQ. I have a Pascal Siakam preview coming up, a season preview, which I think is going to be a really fun one. Uh, I think he's gonna he's gonna be a really interesting kind of litmus test for the Raptors this year. They 
are going to be good, obviously, but they do need some guys to take steps forward, or they could use it if some guys take steps forward, mm-hmm. and he's one of them. So I think that'll be uh, it's going to be a fun one that you can read. Uh, I have a Kyle Lowry thing in the in the in the work in the bubble kind of thing that may come in the next couple of weeks, but I'm going to be a dad also anytime now. Hell so, yeah, dude! Congratulations, yeah. man. Thank you. So that's uh, something that we'll have to see if I can get that done before that happens. So, so excited to welcome little Morris Grant into the world. Yeah, no, he's a, <laughs> he's a boy. Uh, I'll, I'll save the name. I'll announce it after he's born. Morris Grant. Okay. Yeah. Horace Grant. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a disease. Brian Grant. <laughs> got a bad case of Morris Grant. Um, <laughs> yeah, Brian Grant. <laughs> Eddie Grant. That guy sang Electric Avenue. I don't know. Yeah. It's not any of those. Okay. But uh, I'll let you know uh, after he's happy and healthy, and we'll, uh, we'll throw the name out there. Very excited for little Danielle Grant. Um, <laughs> make sure you check out Dan's stuff. Pascal sure. Siakam, that piece should be good. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but I will. Uh, Pascal, rough night last night. He had a bunch of turnovers, but he's trying shit out, which I, I think is all you want to see in the preseason from Pascal. Every time he gets a rebound, he's running the offense, which is pretty dope. So we will talk about Pascal much more in the future. We're actually going to talk about Pascal on tomorrow's podcast because he was one of the five members of the bench, including OG Ananobi, which I'm sure is a slight against OG in his mind, um, who joined Serge Ibaka on his cooking show, How Hungry Are You? So myself and Katie Heindel are going to review that the same way we did the DeMar DeRozan one. I think there's a bit more content to mine from that one because there are five guys there and because they ate lamb brains and because Serge put some more effort into the cooking. Um, So we're going to talk about that one on Thursday with myself and Katie Heindel. And uh, until then, you can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at LockedOnRaptors. Rate, review, all that good stuff. It's very much appreciated. And we will talk to you next time on Locked On Raptors. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 